Why are men and boys struggling? And what should we do about it? In a world of chaos and our attention is being pulled in different directions, the Pursuing Truth podcast is seeking the solution by having authentic conversations that are aimed to impact culture. Welcome back to the Pursuing Truth podcast, everyone. It has been like two and a half months since I recorded an episode. But fortunately, today I have my mother with me, so we're going <laughs> to... Talk about anxiety and depression and a few uh, things revolving around that. But before we dig into that topic, it's really important that you guys understand we are not clinical psychologists. No. <laughs> My mom did not study uh, psychology in college. Um, I did not study psychology. So this is going to be a conversation from personal experience. So yeah. fairly subjective. Um, and so there's going to be some things here that you're not going to agree with, which is totally natural. So Right. And I'd like to be sad that I, I personally come with it with a Christian view point. Yeah, me, me too. Um, so. Because a lot of my anxiety, my depression has, uh, I've had to work through, through my faith. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple questions. Oh, yeah. And one of those was, <laughs> Levi, have you ever struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts? Have you? Yeah. I knew you did. Yeah. <laughs> And one of those things is like, I think throughout my early 20s, I was trying to find somebody to fill the void of not necessarily a father figure, but fill that void of relationship in my life through a woman. And so I became codependent of a woman in my life to give me fulfillment, to give me happiness. And um, I got to a place where I was like, you know, 26, 27 years old after that, uh, relationship with the girl from California. <clears throat> I don't think it was just that. You don't think so? No. What do you think it was? I think part of it too was finding who you were. Yeah. Just as a person and where your value was. I think that part of growing up in a prom primarily female dominated world. Um, or know, home. Or home. Yeah. I mean, well, your world in yeah. home was primarily a female dominated yeah. um, environment that finding your manhood yeah. per se was a struggle for you and finding your identity as a man mm -hmm. um, was a struggle. And yeah. I think men in general coming out of that think that a woman's going to find that identity for you yeah. and it necessarily isn't going to be found in a woman. Yeah. So. And, and I agree with you because one of the things I consistently say is that a man has to find his passion and his purpose. Mm -hmm. And he has to be driven towards that passion and purpose, irregardless if he has a woman there to support him. And, and that goes the same with a woman. Yeah. I mean, she's got to find her own identity, too, in herself. And that only comes through a relationship with Christ, I believe, you know, to really be a complete whole person. Mm. And so... I say 99.9% .9 of all people come into adult life with that baggage. Which <laughs> which makes me think about, you know, when I was in my early 20s, it was a lot easier to find a girlfriend. But why is that? It's because nobody at that age knew exactly where they wanted to be in 15, 20 years. Right. And now dating in my almost 30, you know, and I'm dating early 30s women, is that they know where they want to be. And so, therefore, if where my goals and my passions, if those don't align with where she wants to be, it's not going to work out. And so, there isn't this, what would you say, adventure. There's, there isn't this adventure mm -hmm. to navigate and find things out as we go through life together, it seems. Okay. It's like, and I'm coming at this with two full generations different. Yeah. I mean, because you have older siblings that are a generation, and then you're a generation. Right. So I'm two generations ahead of you Yeah. In, in context. Yeah. And what I see in the world today, as far as society goes, the whole dating scene has totally flipped itself. Yeah. And is totally different because I believe a lot of the cultural things that are going on in the world today has made dating very difficult. Like what? Women have become extremely independent. Um, mm. Marriage is not 
on the table a lot of times anymore because women can support themselves. Mm. Women can pursue their own desires and stuff. They don't need a man to do it anymore. Right. You know, and that, that gives them uh, the ability to be a whole lot more selective um, than when they were in my generation. Right. You know. Where we, you needed a man to provide, specifically yes. financially, yeah. because it was much harder for you to move up maybe in the corporate well, or whatever. And, and, and in my teens, it was just being introduced that we can go to college and we could have a career and stuff. But it was still um, still getting married early, yeah. you know, and starting a family early. And now the majority of women aren't getting married until they're in their 30s, early 30s, and not having children until mid-30s mm-hmm. and stuff. So I think that that makes it a struggle there. I also think, honestly, online dating has yeah. really disrupted it because you can be talking to a guy over here and have another one over here. Same exactly. way with men. Yeah. Same yeah. difference. And so and I think you always in the back of your mind go, oh, well, this guy over here might be better than this guy here. So you have all these selections out here. Right. It's like looking at a dessert table and going, ooh, I want a little that and a little that and a little that yeah. and a little that. And so making a decision and making that commitment has become a whole new ballgame. Yeah. So. And then from, from the man perspective, too, is, so there's social media and direct messages on Instagram. And so – a woman can get all these messages from these guys and she sees all those uh, options of desserts out there per se. And so how as a man, do you stick out from the crowd? And maybe this guy over here has a more fit body. He's got a couple more inches on you. Da, 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 da. We're like, for me, like, I'm not in the best shape. Like, let's be honest. I'm, I'm not, I don't have like 18 inch biceps and I don't have a six pack or anything like that. But the way that I've structured my life and the way that I've been effective showing up financially is in ways that a lot of other 29 year olds haven't done. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that in the context of, I can't share that because I don't want to brag about it. I've done very well for myself. But that's how I, I stand out, in my opinion, when it, when it comes to finances, right? Because I'm not this premier physical man. But then there's this, this other side to it as well as like, well, values and character. I pride myself on living by what I say that I'm going to do. I try to show up and be effective in all ways that I say. If, if, if I say that I'm going to do something, I, tr- I try to be intentional about showing up and doing that being intentional and living a life of integrity um and it seems that in today's culture that isn't something that is really popular but then there's also this other side to it that women are asking for a man that's like that but then there's this other side to that as well of well if you're wanting a man that's integrous or do you have the capacity to appreciate him when he's in your presence well i don't know but we're not going into that deep about dating and stuff, yeah. right? We're talking yeah. about depression and anxiety. Right. The dating scene can create a lot of depression and anxiety. I, I, I think that that can. But I'd like to encourage you this, or anybody out there in the dating scene. Right. Define who you are. Mm-hmm. Introduce yourself as you are. Right. And let that be. Cut to the chase immediately. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to go into depth, but just... Find your main principles of who you are. Right. And present that. Yeah. If somebody is curious, they will seek it out. Exactly. And that's that's ultimately what I found that I seek is if she's curious. But in context of all this is about what led to my depression was loneliness, right? right. In my singleness, I didn't know how to be alone. Right. I didn't know how to find joy. And I was struggling with that. And... I had to go through a lot of trial and error of discovering the things that I enjoyed and things that I didn't enjoy, things that I was good at and things that I was terrible at. And in doing so, for me personally, that ruined a lot of my relationships. Mm -hmm. That ruined relationships with some of my siblings um, because there's been conversations about some of my experiences that obviously here on the podcast is a one-ended conversation. Um, in those experiences they shared with me, but they had a different perception of it than I did, 
which well, led to some and I disagreements. Think we have to and, be very careful with that because everyone experiences their own anxiety and depression in a different form, in a different manner. Yeah. And what experience that I had may be different than yours. You know, we talked about this. Some people will experience depression in a very withdrawing way. Mm. They pull back. They become recluse. They become silent. They become um, where they don't engage socially anymore or they don't reach out anymore. Um, I myself was, um, people would call me an extrovert. I don't really think I'm a full extrovert because I don't. I like my solitude. Yeah. Um, but my depression and anxiety came out in very angry, hurtful ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an expressive outwardly part of, I seen the inward depression that my, my mother was. She became more introverted, more um, reclusive in a way and stuff. And I just, and and I didn't like that, so I think I became more outwardly and never looked at it as a depression. Yeah. I just looked at it as I had anger issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't see it as depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. But really, in all honesty... That was your coping mechanism, was, was the anger. That was my coping mechanism, yeah. was the anger yeah. and stuff. But the depression was still there, but I just did it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to be careful about that. You know, and in our family, because we had a large family... I mean, let's be honest, everybody in our family has coped differently. Yeah. Even though all of us have dealt with the same kind of traumas. Right. But each one of you have dealt with things differently. Mm -hmm. And having that mutual respect allow us each to deal with it differently has been a hard thing for some of us. Yeah. And I think, you know, even for myself, it's been hard to deal with each one of you kids in a different way. Yeah, because <clears throat> some of the siblings are reacting to things a lot differently than, per se, I have in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it makes me think of, <laughs> well, before I get into that, I want to talk about when I was depressed a little bit more and go a little bit more into detail about that. So, as I said, it was a result of loneliness and my codependency of a woman in my life. And one way I started to orient myself was in August of 2021 was I'm going to do this podcasting thing. You know, I need a reason to wake up in the morning, something that drives me, something that I've put a lot of thought into. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of Rush Limbaugh, um, Sean Hannity. I listened to John MacArthur and John Piper. I always enjoyed the practical side of things. You know, when um, my sisters and I would be at grandma's house and we'd be watching TV, they wanted to watch Disney Channel while I wanted to watch Modern Marvels on History yeah. Channel. <laughs> like, that's just the way I, I've always been. And so when I'd be listening to these conversations with John Piper, John MacArthur, or Sean Hannity, or Rush Limbaugh, I was like, you know what? I, I could add to that conversation. I think that I could potentially add a perspective to that that somebody could draw from. And I knew that at 26 years old, and I'm struggling with this depression in August of 21, well, podcasting seems to be a way that I can express some of those thoughts and opinions. Do you think it was partly you needed a voice? And Yeah, I needed a voice. I needed position, you know, because I felt that everything I was doing, even though I was working a very honorable job, it still felt meaningless, you know, like there was nobody I was coming home to. There was nobody I had influence with. There was no responsibility outside of paying my mortgage and my bills. And I found myself playing video games, drinking all the time and trying to mitigate these feelings of loneliness through temporary gratifications that I could have in my life. And I started the podcast And it obviously wasn't taking off the way that I thought that it was going to. I remember Ryan and I started this uh, dating series, Dating in the XYZ Generation. And it's funny because Ryan and I talk about that now. And obviously we were depressed. We were a little bit bitter and resentful about women. And we were attacking those conversations from that underlying bitterness and resentment, which ultimately is what kind of drove the wedge in a lot of my relationships is because where my heart was at at the time was hurt 
And I didn't recognize that at the time. I saw it as, no, I'm going to tell you what I think and what I believe and blah, 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 blah. But the, but really, there's there's a substructure to, to our beliefs a lot of times, and that is our underlying feelings and thoughts that are much deeper than what we are communicating. And that was the underlying bitterness and resentment. And so that ruins some relationships. And I'm about three, four months into podcasting and I worked this call at work and it was a suicide. Um, and I remember at that time, mom, I, I wanted to kill myself. Like yeah, I wanted I to end you it calling me about that. Yeah. What was your response? It made me sad that yeah. you had felt that way, but I don't know. I, I don't think that I felt like, oh my God, he's thinking about suicide, but I was thankful that there was that pivotal moment that you realized that you were having those thoughts and they were serious thoughts mm -hmm. and that incident yeah. turned your mind around. Because when I worked this call, I walked into that hotel room, Mom, and the Matrix is on the TV. If you've ever watched the Matrix, yeah. uh, it's, uh, you know, numbers falling on the screen and the theme song is playing. And that was on the TV, which kind of sucks because that's one of my favorite movies. And that scene particularly um, ruined that movie for me, you could say. And on the bed was the man's ID and his phone was laid out. And he's in the corner of the room. He, I won't get into details on that. But his wife is calling him as we make entry into the room. And I look down at that phone. And the first thought that came to my mind was, who's going to tell my mom if I did that? And I, I don't think I've ever told you that. But mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, how could my mom handle losing another son? And that... Uh, that drove me, you know, that, that made me realize that. Do you think it was kind of one of those first times you stepped outside of yourself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like my problems, although they're a result of my traumas, mm -hmm. it's how I've chosen to perceive them. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I failed to look at the simple, basic aspects of life that I can be grateful for. Mm -hmm. I have a mother that loves me. I have food at home. I have a full-time job where I'm able to be self-sufficient and independent. And all of these things are a blessing. Mm -hmm. And even the drive to be able to show up and be effective in those areas of my life has been something that God has implanted on my heart that I, I want to do better than what I experience. Mm -hmm. And so even in that was a blessing. And so there became this moment of, of gratitude and stepping outside of self, right? right? Like you brought up, I was reading that book, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. I got the whole series. I got dis Discipline is Destiny and Courage is Calling behind me. Um, but that book also made me step outside of myself to see, wow, you know, all of this stuff about my failures in relationships and me not feeling fulfilled and all of this is really a matter of my perception. Right. And which in, I believe honestly that that's where I had to come to. Mm -hmm. Is that moment in my life that, honestly, just to fall before the Lord and go, man, mm -hmm. my life is so messed up. And I got to figure out why I think the way I think, why I perceive things the way I perceive them. Right. And what God really showed me was it was really all of my perception. Mm -hmm. It's all on how I was reacting to the very things in life that everyone deals with. Mm -hmm. There's not anyone that you're going to meet that hasn't dealt with some kind of trauma in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, is there people that have dealt with one thing worse than what you have? Yes, right. but all of us have felt the pain 
of what we've dealt of with. Of the human experience. Of the human experience. And mm-hmm. you cannot gauge one person's pain over the other person's pain. Right. It's still pain. Yeah. You know, I mean, am I grateful for some of my pain being different than somebody else's pain? Sure. But we all still have it. And so, you know, when the Lord really started showing me those things and my perspective of what my trauma was and then why I reacted, it really was a reflection of what was going on in my own self and my own perspective of things. And when I started seeing that and learning to accept it, and one of the big pivotal points for me was forgiving my parents mm-hmm. and forgiving my parents in the sense of they will never be the people in my mind I built them up to want to be. Right. And loving them where they were at because you know what? They became parents with the baggage that they were given to. Yeah. And with the trauma that they were given to. And so, you know, and that made a world of difference in my relationship with them. Right. Now, did I still set up boundaries with them? Sure, I did. You know, I had to put those boundaries up that when I started feeling hurt or pain from them, I could stop it so that I didn't take on more garbage from them I guess you'd say but I learned to love them and love them where they were at and I'm grateful for that because those last years before they died I had great relationships with both my parents Mm -hmm. and so I'm grateful for that but it also gave me a different perspective of of the pain you kids had and stuff so it really did change my perspective now to say that I didn't have other moments of anxiety and depression sure you still have those moments it's part of being a human being it's part we're built that way. Right. God gave those emotions to us. Yeah. But it's what we do with those emotions is where we get victory. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I like to talk about as we go through this, because we're not going to all cover it tonight. Yeah. But, you know, I think about times, well, let's just go over Valentine's Day just this last week. <laughs> and you called and I said that I had read something and I'm going to read that at the end of our time. But I had read something and I said, Levi, this is really cool, what I read. And I says, is it not the truth? And, and we talked about it a little bit. And I said, one of the thoughts I had that day, it's Valentine's Day, which, you know, everybody in the world is all about Valentine's, but there's always that group of people that hate Valentine's Day because they either don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And that reminds them. And yep. it's a reminder that you're single. Yeah. But there's other things, too. Like I told him, I said, Valentine's Day is a sad day for me because Caleb was always, since he was old enough, probably about 15 years old, mm-hmm. he always would come to me and he says, Mom, you have a date yet? Because I was a single mom, the majority of you guys is raising. Yeah. He'd come to me and say, do I have a date yet? Which, no, I never had a date. And he says, okay, you're my date. And he would take me out to eat every Valentine's Day. And even after he started dating his girlfriend that, that he had at the time in, in his later teens and early 20, um, he would tell her, my mom's my date until she gets a boyfriend. Yeah. And so he always took me out on Valentine's. So I told you, I'm sad on Valentine's Day because Caleb was always my date. But I would stop and say, you know, I'd get up that day and go, why am I feeling so kind of out of sorts, a little moody, a little depressed? And I'd go, well, yeah, I'm going to miss Caleb today. But I identified it. I right. could identify right. that emotion And I knew what to do with that emotion. And I knew that tomorrow would be a better day. And it was okay to be sad that day. Right. It was okay for me to miss Caleb that day. And so I think, you know, we talked about this, about how people have a hard time really digging in deep. Right. And figuring out what's going on inside there. And identifying why do I feel the way I feel. Yeah. And instead, they just let that feeling boil and boil and boil and boil until that feeling takes over. It breaks them. And it breaks them. It's just like when you talked about your depression and your loneliness. It drove you to drinking Mm -hmm. in order to get past that feeling of loneliness. I don't have anybody here. Nobody support me. Nobody talked to. Drinking was always a good buddy. Yeah. And you found that drinking was a good mind-numbing drug. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have to think about it. Um, and it was a which is feel which, good thing which too. which is what a lot of alcoholics that's the reason why they're drinking is yes. to mitigate the underlying hurts and traumas from the past yeah especially if you're doing it at home alone mm-hmm. not and, and I'm not saying drinking I'm not not saying drinking is a bad thing you can socially drink and have a right. good time but when you're drinking to get drunk 
yeah. or drinking to resolve emotional feelings or drinking to escape something, that's when you've got a problem. Prime example is it's Friday. I had a stressful week. I just want to sit down with the boys and drink. Yeah. Yeah. That is because you're mitigating all of your stresses and putting it into that Friday night to drink. And ultimately, you're going to wake up Saturday morning and all of the stresses yeah. of life well, throughout the week are still dad, there. You know, because he was an alcoholic. And I'd remember telling your dad when he'd wake up from a three-day drunk. I said, well, did that resolve all your problems? No, you still got your problems. Exactly. The problems didn't go away. You didn't find any resolve to them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so so drinking was one of those. Um, you, you talked about other things that you did to litigate that loneliness and stuff, but were they productive things? Right, right. You know, um, did you find ways to be productive in those things? You know, and I don't feel like necessarily TV watching is a productive thing. No. I know that when I was, when I would get the feeling like, poor little me, I don't have a boyfriend. You know, mm. I would watch Hallmark. <laughs> okay, <laughs> girls. Nicholas Spark movie, Hallmark movie. Rusty would always call women's porn because it always get him into this sappy mood of wanting a boyfriend and, you know, yeah. and, and, and this euphoria of a love story that is not really, really realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I found my mood would get all mopey and depressed about it. So I quit watching those things because right. all it would do was get me moody and depressed that I didn't have someone in my life that loved me and would treat me like those men on TV did. Right. You know, and so you, you have to think about the things that you do, you're doing that are sabotaging those feelings. Yeah. You know, and I don't know that people really think about that. Right. You know, like if you're upset, you're anxious and you're depressed and you know, deep down that you are not showing up in your life and aspects that like, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I knew from a young age, I knew that I wanted to get into some type of broadcasting. And if I didn't show up and pursue that, I would have never set down video games. I would have never found my peace in being alone in my singleness. I would have never found what it feels like to receive a message of, Wow, Levi, that message really impacted me. Do you think part of it, you know, I look back, you know, in your, your school years. You struggled with comprehension and reading. Mm-hmm. You struggled with processing what you read. Mm-hmm. You struggled in those language skills. Even though, all along, I think you had the gift to speak. Mm-hmm. I remember your camp, when you went to church camp, when you were 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. It was the summer after Caleb passed away. And I remember CJ coming to me and said, man... Levi shared a testimony about God being a healer, and and he talked about when his brother passed away. And he said it was pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. He says he's really got a gift to speak. Mm -hmm. But I think because you were labeled with that learning disability, it held you back. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you knew that you had that ability Mm -hmm. and stuff, but yet that held you back. Well, and the other thing about that is... In school, you're learning secular things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, At its foundation has no deep meaning. And losing a brother and the hardships of that I experienced as a child, things were deep. And all of these things I'm learning in school, I'm not really interested in because it doesn't give me any direction. Mm -hmm. It's just a way of, learning maybe to contemplate what is deep and meaningful. Um, And I don't know that that makes much sense, but there just isn't much meaning to it. And so there wasn't a drive in school to be successful in reading and comprehension of To Kill a Mockingbird. But then as I got older, I learned to appreciate stories to understand narratives And through understanding the narrative, then I began to understand what that story means and how it actually applies or can apply to my life. Mm -hmm. But when I was young, I didn't know how to take 
say the the underlying narrative of to kill a mockingbird and how it could apply to my life mm-hmm. um how it related which i to think me. as a mom i failed in those things because well i was just overwhelmed with just making the house work yeah <laughs> just making everybody yeah <laughs> do what they needed to do i wasn't i i was a failure when it came to really focusing on your kids schoolwork. yeah you know i was more of a um let's get the house clean, let's let's get a meal done, let's get the lawn done, let's get this done, you know, and not so much in ever focusing on where you guys were in your schoolwork. Did right. you get your homework done? Was Well, yeah, maybe. I just copied my friends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> your grades, maintaining a passing grade, <laughs> you know. And but I had to find, I, you know. But, but the point is, is I had to find what I was passionate about mm-hmm. and I could excel in what I was passionate about. And I think for, for most people that is what's so important is that you find what you're passionate about yeah. and you pursue that and you show up in those things yeah. instead of showing up watching the Hallmark series or yeah. for guys playing video games all day. Like what, when, when I think of video games, as men, because I used to be this way, I used to play video games all the time, was I'm competing in an artificial world, mm-hmm. right? Like whether that's achieving this new gun on Call of Duty, I want to get it gold, so I got to kill X amount of you know people in the game and I got to have X amount of headshots and this and that. Like I have all of these goals in this game and so I'm pursuing that. But when I began looking at life as... In the real world, I can have goals too. And so I can show up in the real world and compete in my passions to pursue those very goals. And what I learned was, well, I got to set down the video game if I'm going to show up and be effective in real life. So, but how do you explain that to somebody that wants to be a professional gamer? Right. And that's been one of the reasons why I don't talk about it that often is because there are those people that want to be a professional gamer per se. And I get that. Um, but to me, that's kind of like Brock at a young age, middle school, I think, says to me, I want to be an NBA player. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Professional basketball player. Okay, Brock. What's that going to take to get you there? Right. Are you disciplined to get there? Yeah. He lacked the discipline. So mm-hmm. I kind of blew him off because I knew him. I knew that, yeah, you might be good at playing basketball, mm-hmm. but do you have the drive and the discipline to get you there? Right. He didn't. Yeah. Now, as a parent, could have I have forked out the money to get him into leagues and push, 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 push? I didn't feel like that was my responsibility until I knew that he had the commitment to get himself there. Right. Even being a professional gamer, do you have the commitment to do what you need to do to get yourself there? And I have a prime example of this. I have a really good friend that his passion has always been to become a professional gamer. And I remember at 27 years old, we had this conversation. And I'm like, dude, you're still playing on the Xbox One. You're not streaming. You're not, you don't have a computer uh, where you're able to play these games in the capacity that it would take for you to be successful mm-hmm. and be a professional gamer. You're not stepping up in these areas, and what you're actually doing is you're mitigating the responsibilities of you stepping up as an individual and contributing to society and maybe for your family and being a provider. You're mitigating them because you're chasing these dreams in this aspiration to become a professional gamer, but you're sacrificing becoming who you need to be in your life and being effective. Right. Uh, I mean, was he looking at how he can become that professional player? Was he entering tournaments? Was he entering uh, competitive type things to get him there? Right. You know, I mean, and that's where you got to look at. You don't want to squelch somebody's dream, but you got to give them the ability to look at the full picture. Do right. you have what it takes 
to push yourself to get there. Right. Um, I met an 18-year-old this last week, and one of the questions I asked this person was, what do you do for hobbies? What's your interest? What What do you do in your free time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing. And that's what concerns me with the young people today. Mm-hmm. They, they're so engaged in their TikTok, their Instagram, their, you know. But what do you do to engage in things that when you do hit a wall of depression, anxiety, despair, mm-hmm. what do you do that can make a shift in that attitude? Yeah. And that's what concerns me in the young people today. Right. Well, and we have all these distractions. I mean, whether that's social media or it's playing the video games. There comes a time where, and this is probably the benefit of seclusion, um, because there is a benefit to being secluded and not having any of those things to be distracted by, is you must dig deep. And find what it is that drives you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think like so many young people are just doing that. They're distracting themselves with all these things that the world provides instant gratification on instead of really digging deep. And you, you, you talked about this in the aspect of... Uh, you know, underlying traumas and like actually exposing why you feel the way you do. You must be able to pull it out from underneath the rug and have it exposed. Look, this is what, I mean, any counseling session I've ever been into, now I haven't been in many, but any of them is working through the processing, the emotions of that traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. You must be able to work through it. Therefore, Recognize it for what it is. Right. Therefore, you can't just brush it under the rug and keep moving forward. Like, you must deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that's what it means to deal with it, is to be able to define it, recognize it when it exposes it, itself, and be reminded in God's word about right. what he tells you, right? right? Like, cast your anxieties and your depression upon me. Right. Um, and I can't quote a specific Bible verse, but I know that that's... Right. That's the truth, well, is you know, to rely like, on Christ in that. Even when, I want to say this gently, not don't want to offend anyone in that yeah. sense, but uh, some of the most heinous things, um, sexual abuse mm. probably is one of the ones I think of, probably the one that people deal with the hardest. Um, yeah. yeah. And... You know, and not that I haven't experienced that, mm-hmm. um, not just personally, but even in, you know, a couple of you kids, mm-hmm. um, and teaching you that, teaching this, you were the object of that abuser. Mm-hmm. Yes. You were the object. It's not something you did. Mm-hmm. It is this person out here who was the perpetrator. It was this person out here who committed the crime. It was this person out here who is sick. Mm. It is this person out here who sinned, mm. not you. Right. You were the object. Mm-hmm. Has no reflection on you as who you are. Right. And you need to separate that. Yeah. Just like what I taught you with your dad being an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You are to love and respect him. Mm-hmm. but you don't have to deal with his words and his verbiage. That's when you walk away and go, that doesn't have to be on me. Right. You know, and so teaching yourself and looking at your traumas from your childhood and breaking that apart from who you are and how you played in that part and who that other person's part was. Mm-hmm. And once you can make that separation and put you in the right perspective... And then you look at that and forgive them of their action against you. Doesn't forgive them for what they did, 
but letting it go so it doesn't hold you captive. Right. Well, let's let's talk about a substructure of that because the instant knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, why would God allow that to happen to me? We live in a fallen world. But what does that mean? We live in a world where there are sinful people who do wrong things. Yeah. And hurtful things. And people terrible have, things. And people, people have free have will. free will. Yeah. And it's not that God allowed it. Right. It's people have a free will to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, but it is really up to us what we do with it mm-hmm. when it happens. We can choose to take the road of victim and allow it to destroy our lives. Destroy you and and specifically destroy your life through bitterness and resentment about the trauma. Yes. Becoming the victim of bitterness, resentment, trauma, driving us into depression, anxiety. Anger. Anger. The negative emotions. All the negative emotions. Or we can take what happened to us, give it to the Lord, and use it for the benefit of others. Yes, Which exactly. is exactly really what God wants us to do, is that we use that as a benefit to help someone else that may have gone through it that needs somebody to pull them up out of it and yeah. say, you do not have to use this to define who you are. Exactly, which is the power of testimony. Yes. Which is the whole premise of this podcast. Yes. Is you know, to expose that, said, bring it out. A long time ago, a long time ago, once I had worked through my stuff, I had said something to somebody had said something to me and kept saying something about you being a single mom and you're losing a son and and the some of the things that had happened in my my life and stuff like that and I stopped that person and I said look when I introduce myself to somebody I tell people my name and I do not tell them my story mm-hmm. until there's a a moment in time that it's presented to me that God says your story will help this person with their lives Mm. My identity was not in the fact that I grew up in an abusive home. Mm. My identity was not in the fact that I was a single mom. My identity was not in the fact that I lost a child. Mm. My identity was not in the fact that I had dealt with trauma myself. My identity is in Christ. Those were things that had happened and I endured. Mm -hmm. And those are things that Christ brought me through. Right. And so I don't like those identities on me. Mm-hmm. And I have victory over those things. And those things don't depress me today. Those things don't keep me down and in, in, in the muck and mire. Mm-hmm. I just don't, don't allow it. Yeah. Now, do I have days that sometimes memories come back or a trigger, as they want to call them? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll go, ooh, that was hard. Ooh, I remember that. But I don't have to be there no more. It gives you the ability to really empathize and understand somebody's feelings. And yes. And part of your experience leads to your wisdom. And through your wisdom is the calling to share. I think of King Solomon, mm-hmm. for instance. He had everything. He's the richest man in the world, right? He had all the women. He had the kingdom. He had all the money in the world, but he got to a place where he found that all of it was meaningless. Specifically, I'm quoting from Ecclesiastes, Mm -hmm. that all these things that the world provides me is meaningless. Therefore, he shared his wisdom through Proverbs. And that's the reason why I love those two books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, is because all of those experiences that he went through, he exposed them through the knowledge of what he had gone through and his wisdom to navigate and rely on the Lord, right? And in that, so many people who are struggling, people who need discipline, who need courage to step up and be effective in their lives, they pull from Proverbs, right? Mm -hmm. And even for me, I, I seek things out in Proverbs to understand. And I think that that fundamentally is what is so important to pull from our experiences is how does this relate with that person and how can we empathize with them, develop a relationship with them and inspire them to step up and be effective in ways that previously they had not been. Right. So, and I got to say, 
I've, I've learned even new things. This last year has been a real struggle for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just dealing with some health issues and, and you know, and with Ed and his dementia and, and stuff. And, and I just have to be honest with myself sometimes and say, you know, today's a hard day and I just can't do this, you know, kind of thing. And, and I probably have had moments where I'm, I don't say that I've been in a depression so much as it's been a really frustrating for me. Mm-hmm. Frustrating not to do what I usually can do. Um, limit on my strength and my ability. Um, the frustration of that has yeah. made me a little irritable probably more than anything else. Yeah. But I've also, um, it's been a sweet time just um, in a way, sweet time I say, um, just being quiet with the Lord. Because I have a hard time being quiet with the Lord. I, I'm one of those people that I'm just a busy person. Mm. I, I, I like busy. I like doing. And so just getting quiet with the Lord, you know, but it's been a good season in that sense, but it's been a frustrating season. Well, and how do you find peace? Hmm? How do you find peace in all that chaos that's swarming around you? Um, in the Lord, you know, I just got to take a deep breath every once in a while and go, you know, this may be my new normal. And if this is my new normal, I have to learn a new way of, of, um, finding that peace. I do. I mean, I just may never regain the strength that I used to have a year ago. And if that's the case, then this is my new normal, and I've got to be okay with it and and learn to adjust my life around it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a matter of pride, too, to be able to say to my friends or to say to my church family or to say to you kids, not today. Mm -hmm. You know, because I like doing. I like giving. I like uh, my time and energies. I mean... That's just who I am. Right. And I know that th- there's limitations, and, and I just have to be okay with it. And I'm learning that. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. I'll, I'll be okay. I may have frustrating days where I'm like, at the end of my rope, and I'm just like, can't. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm just being real, you know, and that's what life is about, be real. You know, but I feel like I, I have to express it, and I have to be real about it, or depression can creep in. And I think, you know, for people that do deal with depression, yes, you need to express it. But you also need to find that outlet. You need to find that way to keep you from diving in and mm-hmm. and staying there too long. Um, I'm a very big advocate of finding avenues to litigate things that keep you in that ugly spot. Perpetual motion. Yes, yeah. yes. Because I, I kind of, you know, like I said, we're, we're not doctors, <laughs> and we're, we're, there's nothing professional about us. Um, we're just here to just to talk about our own experiences and how we felt like um, God has just really walked us through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, but um, I don't know where you're at, but I want to read this thing that, um, this is a devotion that I've, I've read and reread over the years. Um, my book's falling apart, actually. <laughs> um, it just struck me kind of funny because I had kind of been mulling about feeling a little down. Um, not, I wouldn't say I was in a depressive mood, but just kind of feeling a little discouraged. I guess I would say mm-hmm. not so much depression, just feeling discouraged. Um, now if I can find it. Oh, I did put a marker in there. I was smart one time. <laughs> um Spiritual dejection. What does dejection mean? You're asking me a question that I do not know the answer to. Well, I kind of took it as depression or feeling out of sorts. Why don't you find that definition real quick before I even go into this? I meant to look it up. The feeling of being unhappy, disappointed, or without hope. Okay. Kind of thought that. So anyway, every fact that the disciples stated was right, but the conclusion they drew from those facts were wrong. We're going to study about that a little bit in this next week or so, and we're going to talk about some of those decisions. Anything that has a hint of dejection spiritually is always wrong. So we're going to look into that. If I am depressed or burdened, I am to blame, not God or anyone else. 
goes back to perception, what we were talking about earlier. Yes. But that's a strong statement. It is. And it's harsh. Say, it's a I punch. I am to blame if I'm depressed or burdened. Mm-hmm. I am. Not anybody else. Yeah. Dejection stems from one of two sources. I have either satisfied a lust, satisfied a lust. Now, that, I thought that was a strange word to use. Mm-hmm. Or I have n- not had it satisfied. Mm. One or the other. Now, what can we classify as lust? Of course, you know, in today's language, lust generally means sexual. Right. Or food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but lust is really anything we desire. Prime example, again, going back to me sharing my experience was I needed a woman because I was codependent. Mm-hmm. That lust hadn't been fulfilled. Yeah. Or that desire. lust for that new piece of furniture. Yeah. Or that lust for that new jewelry. Or that lust for... You can put anything in there. Right. Okay. In either case, dejection is the result, is the result, that dejection, whether mm. I've got it fulfilled or I didn't get it fulfilled. And I thought about that and I thought, well, how many times have we gone out and we bought that whatever we thought we wanted or we got that whatever we wanted, whether it was a sexual encounter or a girlfriend or a right. piece of jewelry, and we go, oh, what's next? Yeah. That yeah. wasn't satisfying. Mm-hmm. We had got to have more. Yeah. Do we not live in that society today? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you get what I'm saying. So it says, spiritual lust can cause me to demand an answer from God instead of seeking God himself who gives the answer. How many times, and I'm talking on a Christian level here, even unchristian, people have a tendency to call out to God when they're not getting something, even though if we're not a believer, we still go, God, why? Yeah. You know? But how many times do we seek for an answer from him, but we're not seeking him? Yeah. We're wanting an answer from God, but we're not even seeking God, mm-hmm. the one who can give us an answer. Mm-hmm. What have I done? What have I been hoping or trusting God would do? Is today the third day and he has still not done what I expected? Am I therefore justified in being dejected and in blaming God? How many times do we blame God if in day two, after praying day one, that we haven't gotten what we wanted? Mm-hmm. I feel that. <laughs> Whenever we insist that God should give us an answer to prayer, we are off track. Mm-hmm. The purpose of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not of the answer. Ouch. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Is it possible to be well physically and to be dejected? Because dejection is a sign of sickness. This is also true spiritually. Dejection spiritually is wrong, and we are always to blame for it. We look for visions from heaven and for earth-shaking events to see God's power. Even the fact that we are dejected is proof that we do this. Yet we never realize that all the time God is at work in our everyday events and in the people around us. If we will only obey and do the task that he has placed closest to us, we will see him. One of the most amazing revelations of God comes to us when we learn that it is in the everyday things of life that we realize the magnificent deity of Jesus Christ. Did we just not talk about that? How ungrateful we are in just the little things. Mm -hmm. You've seen a man kill himself, and you thought, who's going to call my mom? Mm -hmm. And how grateful you were that you have a mom that loves you, Mm -hmm. that you did eat that day, and you have a roof over your head. And how many times do we're not grateful for that? Exactly. We take so much for granted. And yet we're depressed why? Mm-hmm. Because that girl didn't like you, right? That I didn't. And get I that. know, and I share that because I know a lot of people are struggling the same way I was. Mm-hmm. And so, when I encourage you, if you're feeling depressed, or burdened, or dejected, really examine where those feelings are coming from. What Mm -hmm. is the root of that feeling? 
Yeah. What are you disappointed over? Mm-hmm. I think that leaves us right at a good place. To come and back really and revisit this. I'd like to see this. people respond to this. I'd like to hear from people. Yes, please do. You know, kind of like open up your hearts to us. Let us know what you're dealing with. And let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Because I'd really like to maybe dig in a little deep and see yeah. where you're at. I mean. Because if you're open to it and you send one of us a message, an email yeah. or um, a message on Facebook or something. Uh, We'll be happy to break that down. Uh, If you're open to it, we'll read that little piece of testimony and kind of break it down, provide some perspective from the areas where we've struggled. I mean, mom uh, was a single mom of of seven, and and I've had my experiences as a man. Um, So there's many things that we can dig into from our experiences. And again, just got to say it again. We are not <laughs> clinical psychologists. We haven't been to college for these topics that we're discussing, but rather we're coming at it from our walk with Christ and how we've navigated our own challenges in our life. And it, I just want to put a topper on this. We still haven't arrived. Right. We're still not, we're not going to be perfect until the Lord comes for us. But, and I told Levi this the other day. I still struggle with the same thing that I know better and I know a good answer and I know in my head I shouldn't and I still struggle with knowing <laughs> what I ought not do, I do. Yep, as Paul would say. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, I, you know, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, and there's a lot of areas that I'm still not fully satisfied I don't know that that ever comes. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, so uh, I, I think to, to pull and um, to bring this whole conversation together really is about finding the gratitude and, and the little things that helps mm-hmm. you navigate uh, those feelings of anxiety and depression. I do have just one more question for you. Um, Will asked me this question. Or no, it was, it was, uh, it was Tripp that asked me this question. How do you deal with somebody? How do you engage with somebody who is struggling with anxiety and depression? So on the reverse end of the spectrum, um, as opposed to how we're dealing with it internally, but how do the people around us, how should they engage with us? I would really start by just having a one-on-one with them and then dig in. Say, hey, I want to help you, but I need to know where it's coming from. There we go. Yes. Let's talk about where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. What is it you're dealing with? They have to be able to identify with it before you can ever even start growing out of it. If right. they don't know why they're feeling what they're feeling, you're not going to get victory over it. And with that being said, be genuinely curious. Yes. Don't go at it with a conclusion that you want to be yeah. the result of that conversation. With yeah, them. don't look like you're going to cure them or they're going to cure... They need to they they need to figure it out. Right. Now, I, I would be hard pressed if I went to a friend and says, "Why are you dealing with?" I, I I generally and they have to know you care. Right. Right. I mean, you can't just go in there and go, "I don't know what your problem is, so what are you dealing with?" You know, kind right. of. They need to know you care. Um, and I would say, "Can you help me understand what you're being depressed over? Mm. Is it something going on?" that I can help you with or something, but get them to open up. They may not know what it is and you may have to dig a little deeper with them right? and say, is there a trauma going on or did something happen or, and make them, and you know, sometimes, and this is what's hard and go with them to counseling. Mm-hmm. If they're, if, if, if I would if suggest they're open it, to that. if they're open to it and maybe even by talking to them, you can get them to a place of being open. But sometimes if there's been a childhood trauma, trauma, and they're afraid to go back there and revisit that, they need professional help. Mm-hmm. They just do. Um, yes. Don't hesitate yeah, to get don't professional help. to get them professional help. Um, of course, I lean to make sure they're Christian because I don't, I, I believe that it has to come from a <laughs> Christian And I talk to people all the time that, 
the realm of psychology and counselors is a lot of things in psychology from my understanding are fairly subjective. Yeah. And a lot of psychologists, and I'm not trying to knock the profession too much by saying this, it, a lot of the psychologists can't even deal with their own problems. Right. And they can make, make somebody more of a victim. Exactly. And we got to be careful of that because th- th- there is recovery in Christ. There is. Exactly. Um, but I, you, you got to generally care about them enough to say, I'm willing to walk with you. And let's yeah. figure it out because I want victory in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I would start, I'd say. So that's dealing with depression specifically. Yes. Um, whereas anxiety is is a bit different. Somebody's anxious about what the result may be of a yes. certain situation. How do you deal with that? Now, say that to me again. How do you deal with somebody who's worried about the result of a certain situation in their life? which is anxiety. Are they anxious about a situation going on in their lives? Yeah. Or, you know, maybe they're anxious about the test or maybe they're anxious about the job and what the result may be of an interview or something like that. Okay. I view that kind of anxiety as not having control. Mm -hmm. That you're not, and I don't know if they're Christian or not. As a Christian, I would question... Who do you trust? Yeah. Are you trusting the Lord or are you trusting your own power? Because mm-hmm. it is a matter of trust. Yeah. Um, when that came, that anxiety. If you're just anxious about, and if you really look at anxiety, it is bottom line an issue of trusting and being in control. Exactly. Yes. Um, and so being gentle, I would give them scripture about that. Uh huh. Um, you know, rock. I think I think a key word you're missing here too is encourage them. Yes, encouraging them. And and what this means to encourage, and this is what I do with my friends, is I'm going to tell you what I see in you, mm-hmm. what your potential is, yeah, and what your strengths are. Yeah. But bud, these are your weaknesses too. This mm-hmm. is what I see. And so let's work on your weakness. Mm-hmm. Let's see how you can improve and step up in those areas where you're not capable yeah, of like doing if, at if the moment. If they're having an interview as a job, say, "Hey, let's do a mock interview. Exactly. Let's build up your confidence. Let's let's give you a trial error with it. You know, exactly. Do that. You know, um, with Brock, you know, because he deals with a lot of anxiety. And you know, a lot of times, I'll say to Brock, you know, Scripture says to take every thought captive. Yes. That means you can take that thought and you can put a rope around it and you can tie it up and bound it. And, you know, just keep practicing that. And sometimes it's like memorize that verse. Drill Mm -hmm. it in your head. And the whole time you're going in through that door, you're repeating that scripture in your mind. Right. You know. Um, But always be gentle. And don't be accusatory. Exactly. Because it's very real to them. Yes. You know. Um, and, and And, And don't give a blanket statement of, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it's a big, big deal, deal to, to them. them. Yes, it is. In your world and the way that you perceive things, it may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to them. They're honestly yes. struggling with it. So have some serious empathy. And the way that we practice empathy, in my opinion, is through curiosity, being genuinely curious, asking open-ended questions where they tell their story and yeah. get it off their chest. Now, I ha- I'll be honest with you in, in this case. For those seasoned Christians, people that I know that have been a Christian for a long period of their life, and they are still struggling with some issues, mm-hmm. I'm kind of confrontational with them. I'm kind of like, you know, you say you trust the Lord. Who are you trusting here? Right. Who are you relying on? Who are you giving this to? Mm-hmm. Because God doesn't want us to live in that. Right. He wants us to be free from that. And if mm-hmm. we're going to have freedom from that, we got to give it to him mm-hmm. and walk away and yes. leave it there. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying we don't maybe have to take it to the altar every time. Mm-hmm. But I said, every time you pick it back up and take it, you're just re-crucifying Christ as far yep. as I'm concerned. <laughs> exactly. You know, so I get a little 
testy with some of my friends when I see them pick that back up. And well, and you have that out. relationship yes. with them to yeah, be able to, to be testy. You know? Right. Yeah, you do have to have that relationship. You know. Well, I hope that you guys pulled something <laughs> from this conversation. There's obviously yeah. a lot that we're going to be able to pull from and dig into in future episodes. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a good time. So thank you for yeah. coming over, Mom. I appreciate it. And I didn't tell while. you guys her name when we started. <laughs> I, I was rusty, you know, uh, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been two and a half months. So, uh, her name is Kim Mattern. Um, you can look her up on, on Facebook and shoot her a message. I'm sure she's open to that. If you have some questions and, uh, I'll leave, uh, yeah. maybe I can leave your email in the bio if you're open to that, but my, my email will be there. My Instagram will be there. TikToks there. I have all the inbox is open for you guys to message me, ask questions, share your testimony, and let's dig into these things. Yeah, Cause I think that this will fun. be very beneficial and helpful for some of you. And obviously some of my experiences and the way that I perceive them or the way that mom perceives them is going to be different than the way that you perceive them. And nothing will shock me. <laughs> right. But, uh, remain curious, yeah. remain yeah. encouraging. And, uh, Remain in a position of gratitude, ultimately. Always. Always. All right. With that being said, you guys make sure that you leave a Apple podcast rating and review. Leave a rating over on Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube. And you guys have a great rest of your week. And God bless. <laughs>